in a narrowness of maybe our particular church or denomination or tradition, and we actually think that we're the whole thing. And we can become very judgmental. I think one of the great lacks and weaknesses of each of the main branches of Christianity is not learning from one another. But just, you know, New Life Fellowship, uh, we recognize we are not the whole pie. Uh, there's a big pie out there called the body of Christ. And there are folks who love Jesus all over the world who do it very differently than you do it or I do it. And it's not that we have to agree on all things. We agree on the essentials. The non-essentials, as Augustine wrote, is charity. And uh, there's love in that. And, and so at New Life, if you've been here a while, you know we, we, we have this, we've moved our church over the years to really learn. And, uh, and so, you know, we like to say at New Life, you know, we, we have, we're, we're multicultural. There's four ends that make New Life what it is. We're, we're very committed to being a multiracial international church. And uh, we're 65-plus countries here. And it's not just something that just happened. We're very committed to modeling the power of the gospel that actually bridges race, cultural, economic, and gender barriers. And uh, secondly, we're also a, a emotionally healthy church. Sorry, it doesn't start with an M, but <laughs> there's an M after the E, and we made it big. And uh, by emotionally healthy, what we mean by that, obviously, is that we are committed to practically loving well as a community and, and in our families and as singles. And that we have skills and there's a whole theology around that. We're not just simply into, oh, me and Jesus and your giftedness and your anointedness. We're into character and getting discipled and how to actually walk that out. It's one of the unique, unique charisms of New Life Fellowship. And then there, we're, we're monastic. And, and by that we mean is, well, obviously we're not a monastery. We're a local church. Uh, but as God led us in this journey, and particularly myself, about seven, eight, I guess nine years ago, eight years ago now, that, that we recognize there was some riches in the monastic tradition, and we've learned from ecumenical monastic communities, Roman Catholic communities, Orthodox communities with married singles from France to England to here, and, and we've taken some of those riches, and we've brought them to New Life Fellowship. And uh, it has been a great gift to us to learn. It's not just simply adding a few spiritual disciplines, but there, there's something about the charism and giftedness of what monasticism means that we felt had application for us as a local church. And so we talk about daily offices quite a bit. You'll hear about that from these guys. And, and we've, we've moved, we've moved our, our, what it means to be a member at New Life is we gather around a rule of life or a way that we follow Jesus here. We're not saying it's the only way to follow Jesus. But uh, that came out of the whole monastic tradition. And so silence, solitude, contemplation with activity, it's all part of our package. And uh, so it's quite different. We like to say, I like to say we didn't just leave the world, but we also left American Christianity in a sense of saying that the worldliness that's in American Christianity, we are seeking by the God's grace to continually cleanse ourselves from that and, and try to recover something which they're about, recovering something of what is, what is New Testament Christianity? What is this all about? So we're learning. And then lastly, we are missional. Uh, God has given us something to do here at New Life. Um, we, we've got a task to bring Christ to uh, the city of New York and, and the world, and we, we do it in a particular way. And so that's New Life, multicultural, emotionally healthy, monastic, missional. So with that said... Uh, uh, we, we brought in uh, these two folks from uh, the Franciscans Friars of the Renewal. And uh, their community you'll hear about in just a moment. And I actually went there on Thursday to spend a half a day with them and uh, participate in their morning prayer, their daily office. And uh, it was just wonderful. And it was, it was, you know, every monastic community has their particular uniqueness, you know. And I, I, and I went to uh, Brother Joseph Michael's room, you know, and I said, well, where's your, where's your bureau? Where's your, where's your furniture? I don't have any furniture. It was a mattress and a floor, you know. Like, that's it. That's it. He's like, all right. And um, so I was like, tell me more. So we spent a couple hours chatting. So, um, uh, but obviously they've taken vows, and in particular of, of poverty and uh, celibacy or chastity, as you'll hear about, and um, conversion of life, you know, to Christ. And so I feel like there's some things we can learn from them. And I think you'll find it as edifying as we had first service. So I will be quiet at that and uh, as we begin. So again, this is in the context of our series on financially healthy spirituality. And we felt that better than a sermon would be to have you exposed and interact with folks like these two. So we really thank you guys for coming. Thank you very, very much. So as, as we begin here, I didn't know if any of you noticed, but uh, Father Lewis, this is his first time here, his first time. Uh, he didn't even practice with the band. That was him on the sax um, here. I was like, wow. He had his own solo. I was like, that's impressive. the Holy Spirit. 
That's, that's impressive. So uh, I want to thank you guys for coming. And uh, uh, one of the questions that I think many of us have is, uh, I, I don't think, I think you maybe uh, said otherwise, that you were born a monk, you were born with the beard like this. You, didn't, you, didn't, you weren't born with this lifestyle. This happened somehow, some way. How did, and we'll start with Father Lewis. How did you end up choosing this lifestyle? What happened before this? Where were you before this? And, and how did you end up where you're at right now? Yeah, well, uh, just first and foremost, I didn't choose it. God chose me, and I'll show you how I came to realize that. Um, I was born into a very uh, a beautiful Italian-American family, lived in New Jersey. My dad was originally from Brooklyn. And, um, <laughs> and, yeah. and, and a lot so, of proud so people I have, from I have New York blood in me, you know. And, um, and, so, and my dad is awesome, awesome. He's an amazing man. And he, my dad was a butcher and, and a boxer. And he was my height. He had no neck. That's one of his fingers. was like this. So needless to say, I had to toe the mark when I was growing up. But uh, it was beautiful. Done in love. And it was just an amazing family. I have three brothers, two sisters. And uh, we just lived a beautiful life when I was younger. But when I got to be in high school, I was very attracted by everything the world had to offer. And one of the reasons why, I, when I analyzed my, my younger life... I fell into it because, you know, I was born and raised Catholic, and in this era of the Catholic Church in America, somehow, some way, and we admit that this, this, is, this is a big problem that we have, that we're still experiencing problems from, but faith was something very private. It wasn't even in the own home. It wasn't spoken about. We never cracked open the scriptures, and my mom and dad regret that to this very day, you know. And uh, so, but we lived a very moral life. But I learned the scriptures from a different perspective, not being able to make a real intellectual connection between immorality in the world, the pitfalls of the world, and my relationship with God. Believe it or not, we never even talked about, quote unquote, a relationship with God. It wasn't even mentioned. And so very easily I fell into these allurements of the world, and um, they became who I was. When I was in high school, I got introduced to weights, women, and song. Those were my three pillars of my life. My chapel was in the weight room. My God was made of metal. I used to work out sometimes four or five hours a day, seven days a week. Um, and then my music career was budding. I started playing music when I was five. And, uh, and so I was playing even in grammar school, I was playing in wedding bands and, and you know, just uh, being exposed to that whole music scene. And then, of course, you know, the hormones were, were raging and I discovered a wealth of pleasure. And that drove me for the rest of my pre-converted years. And so, up until the day I was, uh, the year I was 33, everything I did was for pleasure. Uh, my life was so superficial and so uh, earthly pleasurable that I have, I'm, I'm still reeling from the effects of it. I, I didn't develop intellectually like I should have and could have. Um, um, and so I went to college, graduated college and began to really, you know, uh, um, perfect this life of pleasure. I got a job in Manhattan right out, right out of college and I worked there for 10 years and I was so successful that I was able to retire at the age of 32. After 10 years of working, I had everything you could imagine. I had my own limousines. I had Porsches. I had every gadget you could imagine. And I was using it all for pleasure. Everything I did, I did for one of my pillars, women. My weights were done for women. My music was done for women. And this, this was my whole life. And this, when I look back now, is the very life that when you step out these doors, that is what's being promoted. Rampant sexuality, freedom to do whatever you want, and I embraced it. And I, oh, I when I give my testimony, I, I always say that I was the poster boy of the world. I embraced it, I promoted it, I perfected it. You know, I, uh, I really lived it fully and completely. And then um, my holy mother had been bugging me for years at one point to uh, go to a little pilgrimage. 
And I wanted nothing to do with it because I had no need for the church. God was right in my pocket. I had the old platinum God, you know, platinum card, American Express. Thank you very much. Don't need them. You know, I went nowhere without them. Just like God goes everywhere with you, right? I had them right in my pocket every moment. And I was loving it. But little did I know that literally I was driving one of my limousines into the pit of hell. and had no clue. You know, I could have been in the back seat and all of a sudden the flames are coming up and, oh my, that's what it could have been like. And I even see, like, if I continued on my path of life, I would have died from my way of life and been burning forever. And God, in his mercy, gave me an amazing mother and gave me an opportunity to come to know him. And that's what I did on this little mountainside in this little village in former Yugoslavia called Medjugorje. Jesus spoke to me through a person, answered a question in my head that I that nobody knew I had. He gave me a word, the word, answering my question with a question through a person that nobody even knew I even asked a question, if you could understand that. And Jesus said to me through this girl, answering this question in my head, he said, she said, Jesus told me to tell you, yes, I am your brother and I want to anoint your hands. And that one sentence changed my whole life. Because in an instant, I came to know that Jesus was real. He was God. He was everywhere. He's in my head. He made everything. He's the most important thing. And I was like infused with all this knowledge and understanding that I should have had already. And in that moment, I fell in love with Jesus. I can't even explain how I fell in love with him, but I did. It's like I met him and he was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And I fell in love with him. And, And at the end of this week... I became a new person, and I always describe whoever I used to be, which I can't even imagine when I try to think of him, whoever he was is dead and buried in one of those fields in Medjugorje, and a new man came home. And so for the first time, I began to live my life as a, as a Christian man, praying every day. Prayer, prayer was my most important thing. You know, for the Catholics, we go to Mass and receive Jesus, and I prayed the rosary. I went to Bible studies. I went to prayer groups. All, the, all my friends became priests, you know, and I just, um, even though I tried, I, I spent much time with my friends trying to convert them, you know, going to nightclubs for three or four months with them every weekend, finally realizing that, okay, Jesus came not to unite but to divide. That scripture became so real for me, I cut off my friends because only out of necessity. No, there was no changing going on and, and I just started a whole new life. And so I met the friars. Uh, well, actually, when I came back from this trip, my heart just wanted to serve. And I wound up buying a business in the inner city of North New Jersey, meeting some kids on the streets around my business who were uh, just lost in life, you know, dropped out of school, getting arrested and, and dealing drugs. And, and so I began a street ministry that I did for seven years, the best time of my life. I have so many amazing, miraculous stories from that time. I met the friars in, that, in the interim but when I met him, I wanted nothing to do with religious life. You know, kind of all my my sensual desires were purified and perfected, and I wanted the wife and the 12 kids. And, you know, I was looking and searching, and uh, they ran when they heard 12. And you know, so I never, I never got married. And uh, then literally one day I woke up, and I, I knew the Lord was calling me. I heard him calling in, me, in my heart to join this community. And, um, and so when I did, I divested get rid of all my goods in order to join our community. We'll talk about this a little later, but you have to divest of everything and come in with nothing and just live for the Lord. And here I am having nothing but having more than you could even imagine. And peace and joy that goes beyond understanding. Brother Brother Joseph, your story is a little bit different. Um, you're a little bit younger as well. Uh, so what was your uh, journey like? In, uh, what's that? Yeah, um, so I'm, I'm from the suburbs of Columbus, Ohio, and uh, I, I'm 26 years old. And um, just to, to be brief about it, uh, I graduated college in 2007 with a degree in English literature. Um, uh, a young Catholic man hoping to be a Franciscan friar. Uh, I entered college 2003, um, a Young Life leading Protestant. I'm sure some of you are familiar with Young Life. It's a fantastic uh, youth ministry that 
brought me to the Lord. And um, so I entered college uh, looking desperately for a wife, hoping to, to be a teacher, have three kids, and live in the suburbs of Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> um, so that's, that was my dream when I entered college. So what happened? Um, just uh, and when I was in high school, that's when I got involved in Young Life. I had a lot of questions about the faith. Uh, no one I knew had a lot of answers. So my sister, who had gotten involved, um, told me to come to Young Life and ask the Young Life leaders, and they could help me with some of these questions about God and Jesus. And, and they did, and it was beautiful, and it's a very relational ministry. So I encountered the Lord. Through that ministry, um, I came to know, first of all, that I was a sinner, which I wasn't convinced of. And um, that I needed a Savior, and that Jesus Christ was that Savior. Mm. It was a very beautiful um, time in my life, and so that propelled me through the rest of high school. And then in college, I was a young life leader at a nearby high school in Ohio, and, um, and that was also very beautiful. And one day I was talking with my friend, who was, who was a Catholic, and he told me about the Eucharist. And the Catholic Church believes that by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the prayers of the priest. Yeah, that's um, good. Thank you. Thank Closer. You. Okay, sorry. This is my first yeah. time with the microphone. Um, You're doing fine. You're doing well. You're doing well. So, so by the power of the Holy Spirit, the bread and the wine become the body and blood of Jesus Christ. I didn't know exactly what that meant or how that could happen, but I knew that if that was true, that's what I needed. And I knew that if that's Jesus, then I need that. Otherwise... You know, the Catholic Church is, is the masterwork of the devil because people are worshiping bread. And that's a big, big no-no, you know? <laughs> so, um, by the grace of God, I had I, um, a couple things. Um, I looked into it. Uh, one of the most profound things that I learned was looking into the history, looking into the uh, early church and the tradition of the church. And because um, I was trying to figure out what were the apostles teaching, what did they believe about some of these things. Um, and so I figured I could look at who the apostles were teaching and what were they writing. So guys like Polycarp, guys like St. Clement of Rome and um, Ignatius of Antioch. These guys were direct disciples of the apostles. So I, I looked into what, what are they writing about, what are they teaching. And they were talking about the Eucharist. And um, there was a conviction there, but that's not what I wanted to know because that, you know, implied change, you know. And, um, but by God's grace, I had this encounter at Mass, a powerful moment, where I encountered Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. And, and it, was, it was very mysterious and it was very beautiful, but I knew when I received communion who I was receiving. And I knew that in this, in this bread was the Lord and that there was this union of flesh occurring with the God of the universe. And that God humbled himself this much to come to me. And so this conversion that I had begun in high school kind of found its fulfillment in this moment because the person of Jesus became so clear to me. Yeah. And um, that changed everything. So I found myself desiring more and more. We can talk about this, but, but this idea of poverty became very important. This idea of detachment became very important. Of kind of giving up everything that I was attached to so that I could be more attached to Jesus and just live for him, be his. And this is eventually where he brought me. That's great. Well, you're a long way from young life, I can tell you that. All right. So um, why don't we take it, why don't we just go into what, what, tell us a bit about Francis of Assisi and and why Franciscan Fires of Renewal. What is it you're about um, and about Francis? Give us a little bit of background there and well, St. Francis lived in the 1200s. Uh, he died, I think, 1226. And uh, he just, uh, he was a very worldly man. I didn't know much about him when I joined the community, but the more I began to study him, the more I realized, like, me and him are quite alike. You know, uh, he was Italian, of course. Francesco, Francesco. And um, uh, him and my dad were not much alike, though, but uh, his dad was very wealthy. He was a wealthy merchant. And so, naturally, St. Francis was living the life of a wealthy merchant, and he, too, uh, was preparing to, you know, uh, inherit the business. And, um, but through a series of events, God began to call him from that lifestyle and to draw deeper into these mysteries of who Jesus was to the point where uh, 
he heard Christ specifically calling him to a life of poverty, you know, a life of service to the poor, um, a life, and like an otherworldly life. And so he began to live this life, never ever expecting or wanting or thinking about starting a community. He just heard the Lord call. He actually, the word he, he began to uh, operate under was Christ calling him to rebuild the church. Yeah. And he was praying in a dilapidated church. He thought Jesus was talking. He heard the voice, you know, Francis, rebuild my church. He began to rebuild the church. And after three churches rebuilding them, he said, you know what? This is not what the Lord meant. <laughs> I'm not going to go around the country rebuilding churches. He knew that the church was in ruin and it had to be rebuilt by the Spirit. And so he began to do this. And as soon as he began this work, not rebuilding the physical church, but the spiritual church, working with lepers and, and touching the poor and serving the poor, men began to see and be stirred by the Holy Spirit. Like, this is life. The Gospels began to come alive. As a matter of fact, uh, the mystics in the church say that St. Francis was the first man on earth to most perfectly live the Gospels. And so much so that he was given what we have, what we call the stigmata, the, um, the marks of Christ's crucifixion in his body. First time in the history of the church that anybody records that, that particular phenomenon. And so these men grew, and as, as communities grow, within St. Francis' lifetime, they grew to like over 5,000 men, which is like unheard of. But like society, the humanity was waiting for something like this to happen. You know, people's hearts were probably already being prepared. And so... St. Francis was the conduit to begin this whole new way of life. And, um, and so, but as we know, in anything in life, people wane over time. Things kind of get watered down, and, and ideals of, of initiators get kind of lost in the shuffle. And so, over time, uh, the Franciscan order, which is multifaceted at this point, world, world, worldwide, began to become more worldly, worldly in a sense. So a group of men began to... Um, started a reform called the Capuchin Reform, which began in the 1500s. And these are the, the, the Franciscans that wear the, the brown habit with the real pointy hood, mm -hmm. white cincture and the rosary. Um, these are the ones that are most familiar in the world, I guess. They're kind of the most popular, I would say. And so they began, and uh, so to this day they still exist, and they will continue to exist. Eight members of our community, which we call the founding members, were members of this Capuchin order. And they too saw a waning. They wanted to go, they wanted to more definitively uh, live a life of poverty. In poverty, in service to the poor. So they broke away from the Capuchins in 1987 and began our community in, in the South Bronx. And uh, ever since then, it's just been uh, very attractive to many people. And we've been growing. We're, we are, we're only about 125 men right now. But we are literally like world-renowned. We don't even know how it happened. It's just, it's just happening. And uh, we know it's the Holy Spirit moving. And so I met the friars uh, two years after I had my conversion in 93. I met them in 95. And when I saw them for the first time, I said, Lord, if you call me to the, uh, to the uh, religious life, that's where I'm going. Although I was still looking for the wife and the 12 kids. So that was on the back burner for five more years of my life. But... Um, and so when I met them, like I said, they were very attractive, and I, I immediately began to work with them. I started playing music with them because I was already writing music. I literally, I left the business world to begin a music career. I was writing rap and R&B music, like, like as filthy as you can think. You know, this is my life, the MTV style, you know, you know, uh, 50 Cent and all that other garbage. Sorry, guys, but it's true. Um, that, that was my life. And so I left that business, and I, um, like I said, I, I, I'm shopping a record deal in L.A., going, hanging out with all the movie stars. And um, when I came back from this conversion, shut down my studio, put away my horns. I thought music was from the devil. I had no concept of Christian music at all. But through the Franciscans, these guys are half the community are, are really good musicians. We have a couple of CDs out. We have one one brother who's a professional bassist. He was before he joined the community, and uh, he's world-renowned with his music. But anyway, I, I, I saw that this was a real gift from God, and he perfected it and purified it, and I haven't looked back. And uh, That's great. And so That's here I am. 
before we go into uh, more of applications for our, our series on financially healthy spirituality, can you give us a snapshot of what a day looks like for you guys? Just a brief snapshot of from yeah, morning and, to and bring in the the because uh, again we're talking about silent, you know contemplative and activity, which we're always wrestling with here. How do I balance that? So start with prior to your first office. You've got these offices been, and how your day is basically structured. So they, they run a homeless shelter, 36 men. They got an apartment building there in the South Bronx. And uh, so they've got some, you know, food pantry and a lot of practical ministry to the poor. But just so they're busy, they're working. But then how your rhythms go. Um, so, so our day ends and it begins with silence. Um, there's no wake-up time for everybody. Um, but brothers will get up uh, you know, our first our first prayer together is at six in the morning. So some brothers get up five to six. Some brothers get up at five. Um, it just kind of depends on how late you're up and what you have to do on. Um, but our, our day is centered around uh, something called the Liturgy of the Hours, the Divine Office, which I understand you're familiar with. Um, so it's it's uh, it's basically praying the scriptures. We it's something we inherited from our Jewish roots, um, praying the Psalms. So every, every four weeks, we pray all the psalms together, which has been really beautiful and fruitful. Um, so the first prayer is at six in the morning, and then uh, the morning prayer, which is the second prayer, is at 7.30, and in between our office of readings and morning prayer, it's the silence continues. Um, and then after morning prayer, we have mass, uh, and then after mass, we have breakfast. So after mass, um, the silence ends. And we kind of begin our, our day together fraternally. That's with, very true. With breakfast, yes. It ends quickly. Um, so we have breakfast together, and then uh, our next prayer isn't until noon. So we'll pray together at noon and then have lunch. So in between you know, breakfast and midday prayer, uh, it just kind of depends on the brother. We all have our own responsibilities and our own chores and, and different things we've got to get done, you know. Um, so that's what we do. And then we have lunch together. And uh, after lunch, until our next prayer, which is at 5, uh, it's the same kind of thing. You know, time to, to get, get the jobs done. And um, all the while, trying to pray. It's something that we continually try to learn, kind of this praying continually kind of thing. So at 5 o'clock, we have a holy hour, which is an hour of Eucharistic adoration, where we all are in the chapel together before the Lord um, on the altar, uh, praying and adoring Him. And in that, during that time, we have our evening prayer, um, and then we have dinner, and then uh, night prayer begins at 9.15, followed by the rosary, and uh, then I mean, there's no bedtime, but after night prayer and after the rosary, uh, the silence begins. So really, it's about three to four hours, is it? Would you say in prayer a day? I mean, it's a significant chunk of time. Yeah, but, uh, it's about four and a half hours a About day. four and a half hours, yeah. yeah communal prayer and quiet time. Yeah. That's pretty active. Okay, good. Well, let, let's 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 um, talk about for a moment about. So you, so you move through this process of you know you come in observer, you become a postulant, a novice, take vows and final vows. So um, the vows you've taken, your is it's, it's talking about just very briefly before we go into the money thing. The three three of chastity, conversion of life. Is that what do you call poverty, it? Poverty, chastity, and obedience. And obedience. Okay. So let's. So you're not you're you. Celibacy, how does it look like you're, you're married to Christ? You're not, I mean, we're all married to Jesus, right? Whether we're single or married. But tell us about your particular calling with regards to sexuality and marriage and singleness and what that looks, how you see it and understand it. Well, our sexuality is a great gift. It's, it's actually the greatest gift that we have from God in our humanity, um, which makes a lot of sense. It's the reason why the devil is distorting that one particular gift so much. Because it's the greatest and he wants to destroy it, so he destroys our humanity. But anyway, it's a gift from God to be used for a purpose, to be used to, to unite two in love and for procreation. And they, we believe that it cannot be separated. But because it's the greatest gift, we give that gift back to God and we fulfill his mandates to be eunuchs for the kingdom of God, which Jesus told us to do. And it's a great gift to be able to give him our, our sexuality and to be um, free and available to serve him completely in the church. And God does not give you anything that you can't handle. And you and I know that, well, many think it's impossible not to be sexually active. 
How many people here right now are being sexually active? Don't worry. All right, okay. Don't go there. Amen, amen. So there you go. Okay, so it can happen, but it's really... (laughs) To do it as a lifestyle, you need God's grace, and He provides. He calls us to this way of life. He said it Himself, to be a eunuch for the kingdom of God is a great gift. He provides the grace. Absolutely. And so we offer it up, and it's not so much... It's not as difficult as you may think it is. I Good. think you shared that before, right? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And, so, and, so, and so there is a Francis, you know, there's Franciscan sisters of renewal as well. So there's a, there's a sisters community as well. And so, again, we teach that new life as well. So, so part of your calling is um, married to Christ. You're skipping the, the, the institution, sacrament of marriage on earth because you're going right to the end, which is Christ. You're married to Christ. All right. That's one. And obedience, obviously, to the community. And let's talk about poverty for a moment. So when you join this community, if I join... Uh, Divesting. Okay, so I've got an inheritance coming my way when my parents die. I've got my accounts, I'm IRA. So how does that look? What does it mean to take a? How do you look at finances and spirituality and your particular calling? What What is that vow about for you? Well, for us, it means we have nothing. We own nothing. We uh, receive nothing personally. Of course, we we're, we're in the world. We need to to operate in the world. And so we need things, we need houses, we need cars, we need food. Uh, everything that we own, everything that we use is not owned by us, right? Our cars are given to us. Of course, they're in our name because of we can't put our yeah. cars under someone else's name and have them be responsible for us. But, and every, every bit of money that we need for our, our bills, our insurances is donated. Every, food that we, every piece of food that we eat is a donation. We, we do not buy food at all. So uh, I think for the first six months of our community, the brothers only ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and pasta. You know, that's all they had. That's all people donated. Um, and so our way of uh, living out poverty is quite different than, than the world. If, and why, 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 why do it that way? Because we, we are prophetic witness, and part of our prophetic witness is to witness to God's providence, to the extreme. And so, explain, and, and explain, providence, God, God, providence. God is the perfect Father who knows what we need, when we need it, how we need it. He knows when to hold back. He knows when to give. And we are the witnesses of this very life. And I, I tell you, my brothers and sisters, He does miracles. He provides miracles. You know, and and uh, like if we need something and it's not coming, we are just at peace. Okay, Lord, praise God. You know, uh, we need a car. It's not coming in. It doesn't come in for six months. You know. We make do. So, so what do you have for retirement set up? Now, so for example, retire what? So retire retirement. What? So, so for example, I think I represent lots of folks in this room. So my house value has gone down. My uh, 401k has taken a big hit with the recession. We'll take them. Don't and worry. so um, I, I think we all struggle with security, with our future. How are we going to make it? And so, and you're talking about a, a life that you're, you've got. You're just you're you're totally out there, and I'm just saying you know I mean we're we're struggling because we lost thirty percent of our retirement fund, which I'm going to tap into in fifteen twenty years. So I'm just curious, what was your how talk to me about this whole what is this well, the, the, about? Like I said, we, we're we're giving you a prophetic witness, an extreme ideal. But Saint Paul tells you when if you're married, you're going to be concerned about things in the world, and these are real concerns that need to be tended to, mm-hmm. and so. You need things in the world to survive. And you don't have the ability that we have to reach out to others who want to help us because they know we're serving God directly, particularly. And so you have to survive. And and here is where real discernment comes into play for your own personal lives. You need to put food on your table. You need to have jobs. You need to put gas in the car. You need to put clothes on your kids' backs. How do you do that? How do you do that without getting caught up in materialism? About buying Abercrombie and Fitch, which you shouldn't buy anyway because of the way they advertise. How, how, do, you, how do you put food on the table without throwing away all the leftovers because you're only used to, you know, freshly cooked meals? You know, and buying the, the, all the top name brands. You know, how do you live out this life with only one TV in the house, not a TV in every room? How do you, how do, you do it? And, and so this is your walk with Christ. This is why we live, to show you that to do with less, to be di- detached, 
to be more Christ-like, which means you're going to serve more and not be so concerned about satiating your own desires. This is a whole new way of life that many Christians don't even know about. Many Christians are living lives of, of materialism and, 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 and vanity, and it's fracturing their walk with Christ, and they don't even know it. And Jesus said, many people are going to come and say, Lord, Lord. He's going to say, I never knew you. You know, and so this is just because you know the Lord, just because you, you, you preach him and you read the Bible doesn't mean that we're living that, that life. But this is, it, this, is, this is the crux of the life. You, we have to get into the meat of it and say, okay, Lord, what do I need to raise my family? Talk to him. Yes. Don't talk to each other. Don't talk to the world. You know, don't even, don't even take that advice. You know, close the door on that, on that, on that advice. So what do I need, Lord? So, Father Lewis, elaborating a little bit more on poverty. One person I was, I was reading uh, yesterday, someone said, the difference between poverty and simplicity. Uh, and we're, we're inviting people to a life of, uh, of simplicity. Um, and this person said that poverty is not simplicity. People can live in poverty their entire lives and never know the grace of simplicity. Um, and so could you talk a little bit more about poverty and detachment that you, you were referring to earlier? Just a little bit more. And how, and how it relates to our relation with Christ. That's very, yeah, as you did for a service. Yeah, let me, um, let me just say the, um, with poverty specifically, uh, there, you know, there's a physical reality, a tangible reality to not having things. Um, but the whole idea is that it points us to a spiritual disposition of a, a poverty of our spirit, a poverty of our will. Um, so as we, as you are, are trying to live with greater simplicity, and you're, you know, you're throwing your seven coats out the door, you know, think about what, what can you be divesting your soul of? What are you attached to on a spiritual level that is not Jesus? Because the fruit of all these vows that we take, and especially poverty, and for us celibacy, is a greater intimacy. You know, a greater intimacy with the Lord. And um, that in a unique way, you will experience that greater intimacy as a family. We experience it more as a community, but also on a personal level. And you on a personal level too, but you have this family that is so closely knit. Um, and so as a family, when, you, when you're praying about this, this question of poverty and simplicity, you're going you're gonna to be finding challenging answers. What they're going to do is they're going to challenge you. And if you will heed that challenge, if you heed that call from the Lord to grow in this area of simplicity and poverty, you will experience a greater intimacy and you will experience Christ uh, more profoundly. Because our relationship with the Lord is a relationship and it's something that needs to grow. And if it's not growing, then it's, it's going yeah. the other way. Yes. You know, if uh, you could live a life of simplicity and be totally attached you could have a little bungalow with one table, one chair, one light bulb, and God forbid anybody touches that table or chair. God forbid that light bulb goes out. Ah! What do I got to do? This is attachment. So simplicity is not the answer. But detachment for the sake of this relationship with Christ that Brother Joseph Michael just said. Uh, St. Francis talks about poverty all the time, that not poverty for poverty's sake. That is it's a distortion. Everything we do anyway should be for Christ's sake. For Christ's sake! <laughs> um, but really. Yes. I never say that, by the way. I just, I just said that. Now. Forgive me, Lord. Alright, so, so, I mean, I think part of what this, um, yeah, we I know they, they can sound like madmen a little bit. That's the point, isn't it? You can look like madmen. You do. You do, yes. And, um, but, you know, the, 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 the average, at least United States Christian, they say gives between 1% and 2% of their income away uh, because of debt, because of attachments, because we're trying to get more. So you're so far outside the culture. That's why we brought you, we brought you in here. So I just want everyone just to pause and... You know, look at our verse here for today, which is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the point of, to make no mistake, that this issue of money and materialism, I know we're surrounded by it, but is a core spiritual issue for every one of us in this room. 
And as we said in that sermon on the rich young ruler, whenever Jesus says, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and come follow me, at least every one of us has to ask God, are you talking to me personally? Now, obviously, the few people it's going to be is going to talk to them, and these two folks are one of them. Um, if I could just make a comment on that. Sure. Um, we take a vow when, when we finally profess, meaning we profess for life, uh, and we promise to God, we, we are promised by God to our community that if we live this life that we vow, we are guaranteed heaven. As a matter of fact, one of my, the girls in my little youth group who was wild and crazy came up to me after I took my final vows. I'm greeting everybody. She said, Brother Lewis, I want to become a sister. You? Karen, are you kidding me? What happened to you? She goes, I heard what you said. She said that if I live this life, I'm guaranteed heaven. She goes, I want to go to heaven. And so this is the promise that Jesus gave the rich young man. Sell everything, give to the poor. And you'll have eternal life. And so, see, there's a reality to giving up everything, what we're doing here. But not everybody's called to do that. And so the challenge is a little greater in one sense. You have to be able to maneuver in the world with things, being detached, but living for the Lord. Okay, let's close with this as time goes out. So here it is, applications. And you can just, I want you in three minutes to summarize these three things, okay? So there is a, 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 what's called a third order of Franciscans. And many monastic communities have what's called, um, uh, oh gosh, oblates. Benedictines of oblates are basically people like all of us in this room. We would be, say, we all got our jobs and, and professions, but that we choose to, in a sense, connect ourselves to a community as non, you know, as lay people, as it's called. But we, so we take on their charism or their gift, but we try to live it out in our daily lives as marriage or singles and working on our jobs. And so there's a third order of Franciscans worldwide. When I we moved New Life into a rule of life, I in very much saw ourselves almost like a third order not of Franciscans, but of like a monastic community. We were like folks in the world. But when we first began this journey as a church, I was wondering, hmm, maybe we can get habits or something to wear, you know? <laughs> but something to identify the fact that our whole life is about Jesus. Do you understand? We're not just dabbling in Christianity to help me get rich or famous. I'm, I'm, my life is, is, is Jesus Christ. And my life is communion and relationship with him. And uh, we have left the world and we've left, quote, the American church. With all that trappings and stuff. And so, um, but let, let's imagine we're a you know, third order of Franciscans here, okay? And just explain this, Brother Lewis. We're, we're joining up, all of us, New Life Fellowship Church, okay? So give us your three things we talked about before we started the service. And you're up there in the PowerPoint there. First, yeah, sure. first, uh, first and foremost, and primary and necessary is a prayer life. Bottom line. You know, uh, if you don't have a regular daily prayer life, uh, you are missing out on this relationship with God, and it's like living with your spouse and getting up one day and not saying a word to them all day long, and, and you know, not knowing their needs, not knowing their intentions, and, and this is what a prayer life is: is that relationship with God that needs to be continuous. And the great gift that we have with God is that we can speak to Him absolutely every moment, and not only that, but we need Him every moment. You don't need your spouse every moment, but we need God every moment, and so that prayer life. Is first and foremost. Okay, two. Two is... Um, <laughs> service to the poor, yes. Service to the poor. That's why we have brothers. Yes, amen, amen. <laughs> service, service. Service to the poor, especially Jesus. It's all throughout scriptures, New Testament. Jesus has a, a desire for us to serve his poor. And the poor in many different ways. And my brothers and sisters, it doesn't mean you just write a check and you sit back and you watch your, your, your soap operas and you listen to your music and watch your ball game. You know, okay, let me just sign that check, honey. Okay, good, thank you. No, it's about getting active, touching a life, touching a heart, touching a soul, interacting. This is what Christ did. He went out to the people. He didn't just send his people out and he sit back and, and you know, being served grapes and being fanned. No, he was out there touching the leper, yes. you know, touching the widow, you know. And this is what we're called to do as Christians. Thirdly. And then detachment. Detachment, not just in material ways, but primarily in the spirit. You know, King David was a king. He had the whole kingdom at his disposal. But he was detached. And what did he do? He used his kingdom for the greater kingdom. He fed people at his own table in the kingdom. You know, 
He, he promoted life. He, this, this is what King David was. You know, and, and so this is what we're called to do. Use our goods for God's glory, not in a selfish, vain, uh, a superficial, pleasure-seeking way, but to use everything that you have for God. And if you can't use your goods for God, you walk down the street and you give a smile. You say hello to the, to the homeless man sitting in the gutter. You know, you, you uh, encourage somebody who's down. This is how you live your life. And this is how you don't need a habit. And I just shared this in the last, in the last service. Let Christ veil himself with you. Okay, let Christ veil himself with you so that when people see you walking down the street, they see a different kind of face. How come he doesn't have a scowl on? What's going on there? You know, he's walking upright. He's, you know, he's talking to people around. What is that all about? That's Christ. Touching people as you go along. You know, and that's, that's the life. All right, worship team, come forward. And uh, so really, in some ways, we're not, a, we're not a third order of Franciscans here. But I tell you, if you look at those three qualities of what it means to be a third order of Franciscans, it really is what we are committed to as a community called New Life Fellowship Church. Uh, our, our whole goal is that to help you cultivate your personal relationship with Jesus Christ so that your life is communing with Jesus all day long. Our, our, our commitment's about... I love it. Ellie, Ellie was here. She's on a board of our CDC, Community Development Corporation. And she says, right, we don't just want to check. We want everyone at New Life engaged with the poor. And we are very committed to not becoming this middle-class yuppie church. We are committed. We feel like it's part of our calling is, is to be engaged with the poor and marginalized here in the city of New York. It's part of who we are as a church. And, and thirdly is detachment. I, my prayer and hope is that you will wrestle with this. You'll remember these two guys, at least what they look like, beards and all, you know? <laughs> and you may say, when you go to work tomorrow and you say, hmm, Lord, you may not be calling me to that, but what does it look like for me uh, to live a life that's detached so that I'm attached to you? And how do I, what do I need around my life to guard myself so that I'm not running after people's approval into positional power or into material wealth. Although God may give some of you, and some of us in this room, great material wealth. But I remain, like David, unattached to it, and my life's all about Jesus Christ. That is no small task when you are being bombarded day and night. But this really, friends, is why we're here as a community called New Life Fellowship Church. It's really to be this kind of a radical walk that our lives might be a prophetic witness. So with that said, I'm going to invite everyone to stand with me. Let's give these guys a big hand. Now, there's some, uh, there's some newsletters they've left around, you know, scattered around the book table in the back that they're welcome to pick one up for free of uh, their community. It's just fascinating. And we'll put the, we'll put the website on, the ad, on the, uh, their address on our website so you can check them out. Actually, tonight, what's interesting is uh, at six, the 6 o'clock service, uh, these two aren't going to be here, but there's going to be another Father Glenn. One of the founding members actually going to be the, here being interviewed as well as and someone with him as well. So, I mean, it's worth coming back tonight just to hear another story. You know, um, so, um, but I tell you, as I'm listening to these guys, I'm just like, how important it is for us to be with people who are following Jesus differently than us. Wouldn't it be tremendous if, you know, when you listen to churches or denominations talk about themselves, it's almost like we're the only ball game in town. And yet the body of Christ is incredibly rich and diverse around the world. And wouldn't it be phenomenal if like, we wouldn't just so quickly judge each other. I mean, I'm sure more than one or two of you walked in and saw these guys and said, are these guys even saved? I mean, believe me, they're looking at you saying, are they really saved? You know, I mean, it goes, it's funny when you get around a while, you hear everyone talk like that. But I, I pray that one of the fruits of you being part of New Life Fellowship is that God delivers you from a judgmentalism. But that we actually cultivate a generous spirit. And when you hear someone talk about like, oh, you know, our church is multiplying like crazy. The city's changing. Well, are you the whole church in the city of New York? I mean, aren't there other folks here besides just your group? And I think we can offer that as a, as a really agent of, of, of unity. So anyway, um, it's funny. When they walked in, didn't you all notice their beards? But by the time they're done, like, you don't even see the beards anymore. Because what you see is human persons. You see persons, not dress or, or beards. And because and, we're all people, you know, following Jesus. So as we close, I, I don't know how God's coming to you. 
But I personally love being around folks who have been called by God uniquely to be monks. Because it roots me. The fact of God's call for me to be detached from everything for Jesus. And that it really doesn't matter what people think of me. It really doesn't matter about money and possessions. It's all going to go anyway. And it, life really is about a pure heart before God. And that this call of Jesus really is radical. And I always feel cleansed a bit from the world. And so I thank you, too, for coming and giving us a gift of your lives. Uh, you've served us greatly. So let's take a minute, and I'm going to close in prayer. And the worship teams come, I mean, the prayer teams come forward to your left. And the Lord's table will be here to your right for communion. But I'd like to close and, and give you about 30 seconds to a minute of just silence. And ask yourself the question, how is God coming to you? I mean, these weren't just two mad men who showed up at New Life, all right? What, how is God coming to you with a gift to you in your relationship with Jesus today through the exposure to these two Franciscan friars? little bit out of the box but what's a gift from god he's seeking to bring to you and let's just take 30 seconds to a, a minute and just close our eyes before the lord how is god coming to me lord what are you saying to me what gift are you seeking to give me So if you're like me, you wonder a lot about your future and your security. And so just quietly, just say to the Lord, Lord, I put my trust in you. You are my security. You're my future. You're my hope. Okay, so receive a blessing now as we close here. And the altar teams will be to your right. And you may want to come forward. I want to invite you to come forward for prayer. And maybe repentance. It may be God cleansing you of chains that have crippled your heart. It may be fears that are driving you to make wild, crazy decisions. It may be you need a healing and a deliverance. Because you recognize you're not free. You please come forward for prayer. Let us pray for you, anoint with oil. Let God touch you. Or maybe you just need to come back to Jesus this morning. You just come forward here. Come to him and surrender yourself to him. Okay, so let's open your hands. I invite you to open your hands if you'd like up towards heaven. Just receive a blessing. And may God's face and his love shine upon you. May his love and his power and his presence so fill you that you actually can rest. May the Lord calm your anxieties. May he ease your fears. May he grant you the trust of a child that you may throw your life on his lap. And may God give you the grace to not follow other people's opinions and plans for your life. But may God give you the grace and the power to follow him wherever he may lead you to go. So be blessed as you go, I pray in Christ's name. Amen, everybody.